Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are not financial advisors. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or a recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Chit Chat Money Sunday episode, and this is where we cover a stock in about 20 and 25 minutes. Uh, it's called the Fundamental Analysis Show. And today we're going to be talking about Naked Wines, a company that a lot of consumers in the United States may be familiar of, uh, but the stock, uh, not so much. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about our friends at 7investing, as always, right? Uh, and we want to highlight every one of their advisors. And today we're going to be doing Dan Klein. Uh, he came on a little bit later, uh, I think this summer or maybe this fall, and yeah. he is the host of all their shows that they do, but he's also one of the lead advisors. So how, how would you describe his style? I mean, he is uh, – he first of all, he invests in companies that everyone understands uh, and maybe that's just the ones he presents when he's come on this show. But uh, companies like Target, companies like Disney, uh, he has a really good, I think, eye into what the consumer uh, yeah. likes and that's sort of his niche i'd say and then he's also very personable and he really is a good he's like the he's most great. he's an incredible stage presence is what it feels like <laughs> yeah he's good and he's, he's good at explaining why, why he's investing in things i mean we were doing an interview with him and his cat came across the screen and he didn't even flinch which is exactly why you should take his stock recommendations but no and seriously in all seriousness he's very straightforward and i mean if you're the type of investor that is kind of a peter lynch style I mean, that's, that's right up your alley. But mm. uh, before we get started, we got to talk about using our code CCM at checkout uh, at 7investing. Uh, you get $10 off your first month, so you can try it out for only 7 bucks. Help out our show. Help out them. Uh, get so some good emotional now. Get some good picks. Yeah, but let's get to the real show. We're talking Naked Wines. Uh, what does Naked Wines do? Yeah, so Naked Wines is the first 100% digital business model for wine, um, or at least they claim they are. And Basically, you can simply order wine online, just like any other digital business if you want, but then it also has a membership component to it. So just think of this basically as wine direct to consumer. Uh, and here's really how it works. So Naked Wines sells recurring wine club memberships to its members called who are basically called angels. That's what they refer to them as. I think it's $40 a month. Uh, and those members can pick from a bunch of different wines. And that $40 kind of goes down as a credit. Uh, and you can use it in your wine purchases. Uh, but then Naked Wines also pools that money and helps fund new winemakers. So, you know, if a family, a small family didn't have the cost or the the, the money to get started, uh, Naked Wines is going to help them. And basically on the winemaker side, they're like pitching Naked Wines. They're like, hey, yeah. we have this idea. Here's the vineyard. Here's, Here's our track record. Yeah. Yeah. Would you be interested in this? And Naked Wines can say yes. Here's the funding, and then the winemaker on their side gets guaranteed sales and distribution. They don't have to go through retailers. They don't have to hire agents or anything like that. They get Naked Wines distribution uh, and customers. And so then there's kind of been this community built around it. So you can interact with the winemakers. The wine buyers can interact with them. They can you know talk to them. Say you know. What did you, you know, what process did you go through? Old people love to do that. So, um, and not just, hey, don't need to classify wine, wine connoisseurs. Yeah, yeah, don't, need to, do don't need to be ageist here, Ryan. <laughs> um, but yeah, it feels a little bit like a stitch fix type of model for wine, I guess. 
Um, but more of a deeper relationship between the customer and the brands. Yeah. 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 And then uh, am I missing anything on there or does that no, kind of no, serve mean, the value problem? So the angel, the pitch to be an angel is one, you get discounts on wine, two, you get credits and stuff, but you're funding the winemakers. So they try to make that relationship pretty personable. You're supporting independent winemakers instead of the conglomerates, you know? Yeah. And you can like, it's not like you're just putting the money into a pool and not seeing who you're funding. I believe you can specifically pick out certain wines or yeah. winemakers and help fund them. At least you, I think you can. You're not required to. Right. Yeah. Um, and then history about the business. Naked Wines was started out uh, – well, it started out as a small DTC component of a traditional wine retailer business. So it was called Majestic Wines and it has I think 190 physical stores all throughout the UK. So this is sort of just your traditional retailer and they – but they sold Majestic Wines to Fortress Investment Group, which I believe is private equity, for $115 million. I think that helped bolster Naked Wines' balance sheet. Yes, definitely. definitely. Because they recently made a huge they, – they had a huge cash influx. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm assuming that's where it came from. But emerging from the sale, they decided to completely overhaul and restructure management. So Rowan Gormley was the initial founder of Naked Wines. But I think as they saw Naked Wines continuing to grow and have a huge presence throughout the U.S., they've, I mean, they've talked about the U.S. a ton. They decided it would be good to bring in new management. And so Nick Devlin, who is the former COO and head of the U.S. operations, was appointed to be the new CEO. And so basically they had one really old traditional retail business and one emerging DTC brand or business, uh, and they sold one off and they just – remodeled yeah they're pure uh naked wines now um and it's not just a u.s business i think it's what 50 percent in the u.s so the majority yeah. and it's the fastest growing segment but they do ha- they do have some european stuff as well and or it might just be united kingdom but they, they also australia. have australia too yeah. Yeah, those big three markets um, but i'll get to the valuation the ticker is uh w-i-n-e or wine brilliant ticker brilliant we're ticker. tickers here <laughs> yeah we're huge i mean that's the entire investment thesis uh and that's when you're listed in the united kingdom uh so you might see that if you're looking up on some sort of investment research site or anything like that but if you're going to invest in the u.s the ticker is m-j-w-n-f and they're oh. on the otc markets uh that's like a typical like uh what do we look at something in that oh it's kind of like nintendo you know you're not yeah. investing in the japanese shares they have the separate shares for U.S.-based investors and other markets around the world. Uh, their market cap right now is about $713 million um, as of our recording, but has a $613 million enter- enterprise value. Um, and you're going to convert um, a lot of the numbers from British pounds to U.S. dollars. Uh, so make sure to check your conversions because I know I was checking a few different sources because some of the, the sites can be wrong, and I did it from using the actual share count by the share price. Uh, but I know that Schwab actually had the wrong market cap, and I'm assuming Robinhood definitely has the wrong market cap, even if they carry this at all. Uh, so do check what the actual market cap or enterprise value is. Uh, some valuation numbers, their EV to sales is about 1.75 on a trailing 12-month basis, and EV to gross profit is about 4.5. Probably the most important number there is EV to gross profit, but they also give out a number uh, standstill EBIT um, and that's a non-GAAP metric that they just come up with by themselves um, and it's like alright if we took out any of our investments what would our EBIT be and they're trading at about 17 times what their estimated standstill EBIT is yeah. but again that's not I mean they make that number up so yeah I'll, 
I have the definition here. This would be the adjusted EBIT number if the investment in new customers was reduced to the level needed just to replenish the current customer base. Yeah. Which makes sense, but they they can make up that number however they want. So right. really, you should be looking at the cash flow numbers. And right now, they're about break-even on profitability and cash flow. So nothing to see much there. Um, no dividend, as you probably expect. Balance sheet numbers, cash and equivalents of about $98 million. Uh, $109 million in inventory, $61 million in accounts payable. So quite large for their size. Um, that's how their business runs. You know, they have a lot of IOUs to either customers or winemakers or stuff like that. Um, $80 million in deferred angel income. So that's where that deferred angel income is going. Uh, but no big debt outstanding. I mean, their debt is really, the angels are their funding. Um, so that's yeah. who they're going to have to eventually pay back in wine credits, uh, but they're not going to the um, capital markets, which I guess is a is a nicer thing. But you are relying on the angel customer base. Yeah, and they also paid out a special dividend at one point. I wonder if that was maybe tied to the sale of majestic yeah, de- wines. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Because I saw there was just like some random dividend period, uh, but typically they do not pay one out. Uh, also, I should note they only report every six months. Yeah, British companies lazy. Yeah, so you're not going to get quarterly reports with this company. So uh, the numbers I'm giving you are for the first half of 2020. Uh, 20, so- sorry, 2021, right? fiscal year 2021 yeah so this yes this is for the six or the 26 weeks uh ending on september 28th okay Uh, i'm looking at it now so the six months prior to that uh and the numbers i have revenue was 191 million and this is converted to u.s dollars that was up 80 percent year over year that was sort of a one-time temporary shift typically it's not growing that fast that was a lot due to covid because people were isolated and drinking a lot um but revenues from repeat customers was 44 million dollars that's up 89 percent year over year so it makes up about 23 percent of overall revenue so re i believe they defined it as like repeat contribution um so th- that the goal is that a lot of the people a lot of the customers become repeat uh customers and that number grows as percentage of overall revenue losses before taxes was 11 million dollars so yeah, they could. They, I mean, if they excluded their investments, they'd be profitable. But obviously, you want a company that's uh, investing for some growth. And then they had ninety-three million in cash on the balance sheet. They have seven hundred fifty-seven thousand active angels that grew thirty-seven percent over the last twelve months. Uh, increased their warehouse capacity by one hundred four percent. Yeah, they're, so big capex or big whatever. I don't know where they're classifying it as maybe just leases, but a lot of expenses on building out that growth right now. Yeah, and then uh, their rolling twelve month standstill EBIT was twenty six million, but I forgot to convert that. That was twenty six million in euros, so probably like thirty two, thirty three yeah, million yeah, US dollars. Yeah, um, and we already started to find what that was, but it seems unlikely that they'll be. Uh, company that generates absurd margins at scale right now their gross margins are like 39 percent and if you just think about the value chain they're not going to get a huge slice of that uh, because obviously you have to pay the winemakers and you're getting the revenue from your shoppers so uh yeah it's a company that could generate consistent profits but probably not absurd margins yeah it seems like their cash flow margins you know could be above 10 percent, but probably not much north of 20 percent um, and probably not getting close to 20%. But, I mean, that doesn't mean it's a bad business. All right, let's take a break, and then we'll get to the second half. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. 
Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is Red color, red color, where are you? All blocked, thanks to Advanced Security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced Security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Next up is Digging Trenches, which is where we try to identify whether this company has any moat, competitive advantage, whatever. And it's a 0, 1, 2, or 3 rating, 3 being the best, 0 being the worst. Ryan, what do you think about Naked Wines here? Um, It's kind of a unique business, so. Well, I didn't check, but... I probably should have if they have any sort of regulatory moat because I don't know if anyone can just deliver alcohol. I was I was reading up on this. Yes, each state has separate sales taxes. A lot of states have um, different logistics things where you can't sell in certain ways. Uh, so I think they do have some sort of regulatory moat where they can take um they deal with that for the winemakers. You know what I mean? Right. Um, where that they control big, the distribution. That's a big value proposition for people. Yeah. Okay. Um, then yeah, I'd say it's high, and they also feel I don't know anyone else that's doing this, so I guess maybe first mover advantage as well. Um, and then, I mean, I honestly don't know of any other business that's doing DTC wine delivery. Well, there, there's there's some other wine clubs, yes, uh, okay, and there right. will be some that deliver. But with this model, uh, no, not this exact model. Okay, so I don't know two. I guess two. I mean, it's not irreplaceable. Uh, uh, no, it's not. A, yeah, it's not like a. A must-have, but it's difficult to do. I I think it's yeah. I'd probably give it closer to two and a half. Definitely a big actually, part of the business. Actually, because the winemakers tend to be so loyal to uh, Naked Wines, from what I saw, I'd say that yeah, that they're probably uh, it's probably a little higher because they really yeah. have built a community around it, and it's not just the business model in, uh, in of itself that's mm-hmm. a moat. It's the community. Yeah, and this kind of brings me, reminds me of what the team at Ensemble Capital talks about with idiosyncratic businesses. And I always forget the definition of idiosyncratic, but I believe this business model in its uniqueness uh, is feels like one of these type of businesses where that can develop the moat, where it's, it's super hard to repeat because it's such a unique thing that you can't just repeat and go after another set of customers. Yeah. Um what are you looking at for further reading? Okay, so Sean Tabak, uh, it's spelled T-A-B-A-K, just joined as CFO in December. So the, the new management, uh, what's his name? Dev Devlin? Nick Something. Devlin. Nick Devlin, yeah, that's the new CEO. I believe they're trying to bring on a new executive team uh, that has more experience in the United States because that's their big growth push. Uh, and I think the CFO role at Naked Wines is very important because the financing of the winemakers – uh, making sure all the numbers work out versus the angels, their bank accounts, winemakers' bank accounts. That's very important to have the balance sheet for this uh, optimized to optimize returns. Uh, yeah. So the CFL role is vital. Probably want to do some more research on, uh, gosh, I don't know if it's a woman or a guy. Them, just on them. Okay. Uh, mine's just trying to get a better grip on the unit economics. Uh, I understand vaguely how this works, but I'd also like to know who owns the wineries, uh, what sort of that, that structure looks like, what Naked Wines actual payout is, so how much is going to the winemakers, how much does Naked Wines take. Um, and then also there's this $100 coupon thing. It, this is probably how most people, if you're a consumer, has, have heard of the business. It feels like everyone got this $100 coupon. So is that just a marketing strategy? Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I, mean, I saw it online everywhere and we got one at our house. I don't know 
why or where, but uh, if you buy something for a hundred, if you buy a hundred sixty dollars worth of wine, you get a hundred dollars off. Um, which good mark, yeah, I mean, definitely feels like a loss later, but uh, yeah, it's marketing cost, right? Yeah, I guess just throw it in the marketing budget. But um, yeah, I'd like to know how that works, and then what kind of lifetime value those customers have, and if they stick around. Yeah, the lifetime value is important there if they're going to spend so much to acquire those customers. All right, future growth opportunities. Why don't you go first because you got the big one for them? Uh, USA. Yeah, we. Uh, I have a quote here. They talk, which uh, makes me a proud American drinker. I guess uh, <laughs> they said we see potential for market share gain in all of our geographies. However, the opportunity is largest in the U.S., where the market dwarfs the rest of the world in terms of size and gross profit potential. Demand is there. The U.S. market for wine. Is is around 40 billion and 20 billion is estimated to be addressable by our model. Uh, and this, the U.S. segment specifically grew insanely fast in the first half. So I guess Americans that are locked are locked in their houses love to drink wine. They love to order it straight to their doors. Um, so I guess just continuing to spend, and I mean this is really what they're doing anyways, but also making sure that you have the right winemaker relationships in the U.S., not just the consumers, because like like we said, a large part of the business model is being able – having the shoppers be able to connect with the winemakers. And so if you can connect with them now, whatever, post on their wall and they are in Nevada or Napa and you're in Portland, you can easily drive down or fly down and go visit the winery once things open back up. So just really focusing on the winemakers in the US and uh, trying to get those. Yeah, and the exclusivity is also important if these wines are exclusive to uh, Naked Wines members and those wines are fantastic or whatever, they have a high rating. I think people will like that as well. Uh, I think we should note that you know we, you have mentioned that uh, the COVID has given them a bump, but we're not, you know, we're not sure whether that's all going to revert back in future months. There may be some shift. I think they gave a number that before the pandemic, 5% of wine was bought online. And now during the pandemic, 20% is bought. I mean, I don't know if it's all going to revert back to that 5% market share. So that growth, while yes, a little bit artificial, may still, it's not just going to permanently go back. Yeah, agreed. Um, what's your growth opportunity? Okay, it's, it's hard to, because they kind of just want to get the business model going. There's not much with the internal business that they want to change. I mean, I could mention like, well, go to this winemaker or this one or this one, but we'll leave that up to them. Uh, if they wanted to get out of wine, they could potentially do this for beer, I think. Uh, craft breweries do need funding, uh, and a lot of them have just gotten bought up by like Anheuser-Busch and stuff, which makes it similar to the wine market where everything's kind of owned by these conglomerates. However, you know, it seems like craft breweries are doing fine on their own. I don't know how much angel funding they need, and they're, the diehards aren't as for beer. There's not the same level as for wine. So that might yeah. not work, but I think they could potentially move into different types of the, the liquor market. Uh, it'd probably yeah. be less of an investment. You know, the, you wouldn't be able to do a $40 membership for beer or something like that. That is interesting. No, I mean, I I would definitely say that's an available market long term. Right yeah. now, it's really probably all about cultivating product market fit around uh, the wine brand. Well, but- they found it, but just growing, you know. Right. Um, highlights and lowlights for the business. You want to go first? Sure. So they have a competitive advantage, I think, versus the legacy distribution system. So it's similar to you know the beer market. If you're familiar with that, how 
whatever the place is. Grocery stores would probably be the main one for wine or restaurants um, where, I mean, you, ha- you have the distribution, you have the shelves and uh, all these other companies who are owned by these conglomerates and things like that really you know, kind of stuff the shelves and they're all owned by a few companies and it's really hard as an independent maker to get into there. But with Naked Wines, that fixes that for the winemakers. So I think that is a big competitive advantage. And I kind of like how on the consumer side, they can be a stitch fix like matchmaker. I bet some listeners are rolling their eyes right now, but I do think it can help. If you can be the matchmaker for wines and they have, I think, what, 90% plus of their wine choices that people have gotten, you know, their matchmaking. I know they're not all matchmaking. Some people just choose what wine they want, but I think 90% are five-star rated. So I think that's a good sign um, that they can help, you know, the customer solve the problems they want, whether they like, you know, Malbec or Merlot or whatever. Um, And another thing on the financial side is the fixed cost have decreased 5% as a percentage of revenue over the past year. So that leverage, uh, especially with this asset light model, I mean, I think it can, you know, really help them out in the long run. Okay. What about Um, low lights? Low lights. Yeah, so the number of angels seems capped. Uh, right now they're at 750K. Uh, I don't know if it can go over a few million, at least in the US, maybe globally. Could get closer to 10 million, but not much more. And say, you know, the boost with COVID, I think you're going to talk about that more. But lastly, fire seasons are getting worse. That's big for wine. Um, you know, the climate change stuff is getting worse. And there's other factors, maybe a tail risk for wine because they are, you know, climate is important for wine. Uh, you know, water is important. That's why people are always like, was this a fire year? This one kind of has a smoky aroma. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what they're saying. But one other highlight I forgot is that with the 750,000 angels, if we assume they all pay 40 bucks a month, maybe they don't. Uh, But if they all pay 40 bucks a month, that is $30 million in funding coming in from angels each month. I think that's a huge advantage over other D2C players or just wine sellers in general. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious what the lifetime value looks like. They might have that number somewhere in there. Um, my highlights, the model, this business model lowers the barriers to entry for winemakers, which is huge. Um, and then it also uh, lowers prices for wine shoppers. And the other thing that I think could be a huge value driver for them is the community aspect. Because for some reason, people love to like pretend they know a lot about wine. And so being able to connect <laughs> with uh, like the winemakers, uh, having you ever know like you go to a winery and they're like so proud to like ask questions to the winemaker. Um, I think this gives them a decentralized way to do that. Yeah. Um, and so that could be like an actual value driver and then maybe getting to meet the people in person as well. Um, I just think that's a cool community. And then my lowlights, it does feel like they saw a temporary boost thanks to COVID. I mean, it doesn't just feel like it. They did see a boost because yeah, of COVID. Yeah, it went from 10% growth-ish to like 80%. Yeah, definite boost. So um, I I have a hard time imagining there won't be some sort of reversion, maybe not in the next report, but uh, as wineries – are open again and people start going out and the vaccine is distributed, you know, there's a good chance people, a lot of the people that switched to naked wines go back, uh, at least some of the time spend some of their consumer dollars, uh, at actual wineries. Um, but that doesn't mean the growth isn't still sustainable and there isn't a niche crowd or a niche market for this. Um, 
The other thing for me is they talk a lot about how much growth they see ahead, which is great. But if there is reversion, I want them to have some cash on the balance sheet. And so maybe not investing all that cash, keeping some of it uh, and being a little bit conservative just in case demand starts to recover or, or starts to revert. Uh, uh, looks like they have $98 million, so I think yeah. it should be good. But yeah, that's something to watch for the next few quarters. Yeah, other than that, I didn't see any major lowlights. It feels like they got younger too, um, in terms of management team, yeah. uh, the chairman of the board stepped away, but I think he was really more tied to Majestic Wines. Yeah, um, so they, they really broke off from Majestic Wines, yeah, in like 2019. I think it was late 2019 or maybe even in 2020. No, nah, th- I think it was 2019. Uh, so yeah. they're still kind of in that transition period. Uh, but we'll hit, uh, what, the last, last question, question here. Yeah, more or less interested. What do you think? I'm more interested. I, I keep... I keep having to check myself because this is one of those companies that's super unique and you want to like it like you, you know, and the business model you want to like, and it just seems kind of like a great fit. It's uh, I don't know. It's not something that's really well covered. feels like it could be a good compounder and a good growing business for a long time, but uh, wanting to like something can lead to biases and maybe not uh, a true yeah. reflection of the financials. It, the valuation isn't perfect. By any means, uh, they're trading at whatever it is, almost 20 times the standstill EBIT, which is really an adjusting metric. Yeah. Um, I don't it's know. not I'm, bad. It's not terrible. I'm glad they're just trading at less than five times gross, gross profit. I, I mean, yeah. That maybe that's right. why I'm biased to them is because they're not trading at a crazy valuation. I do like it, but I'm going to keep looking for red flags. Also, something that I did like to see, they're supposed to self-audit. Like uh, the or independent or yeah, whatever. They're not on the they're not on the they're not on the big um you're not running stock exchange. It. They're on the the second tier one. Yeah, uh, but they hired Deloitte anyways, which uh, originally it was a like a canceling thing when I saw that uh, they didn't have to audit, and I was like, okay, well this is pointless. And then I saw that they hired Deloitte, and that's just uh, kind of yeah, it helps reassure us the, as investors. Yeah, they were willing to um you know the big four or whatever. Uh, they're not perfect, but seeing that they're willing to spend up to do what the uh, the big boys do, and if they continue to grow, they should be able to list on the the London Stock Exchange to be on there too. Yeah. What about you? Definitely more interested. I mean, I like the valuation. Um, you know, it's not perfect with their gross margin numbers, uh, but I think the business models, without looking further into it, I think it's sound and unique enough that it's very defensible. Um, I think that's it. I mean, management has to check out. I don't know, but definitely more interested here. Um, it feels a bit yeah. to me like I'm going to do the shopping thing. I'm probably going to use that coupon and see what the shopping experience is yeah, like. Do a little, uh, yeah, definitely do that. Get us some anecdotal evidence. <laughs> um, all right, I think that's going to do it. We good? Yeah, yeah, we're good. Okay. Uh, remember, as always, to use our promo code CCM at checkout to get ten dollars off your first month at Seven Investing. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you on our next episode. 